Hello and welcome to another Quarren stream. Wait. Yeah, my audio input's working. Huzzah! Things seem to be working. Let me know if there's any problems with the um with the uh, audio cutting out again. I think I still have the the right the settings put in, but you never know. Um so as of course, I am Joe Magician. Today I thought I'd make it up to a lot of you who thought last week's Blood Raven, Blood Raven stream would be kind of a skin changer bonanza. Um didn't quite happen. Me and Aziz looked at more of the um the character study behind him, his relationship to his brothers and his sister, half brother, half sister. Creepy Targaryen things. <clears throat> That's why today I'll be talking about Blood Raven Light, the other great skin changer beyond the wall, known as Varamir Six Skins. Varamir's not really a, a major character or even a secondary character, so why is he worth doing this entire stream about? Well, the answer is that it is from Varamir's dark and twisted mind that George begins a dance with dragons, showing us a very different look at the magic of this world and what it can potentially be used for. And perhaps to reconsider those starklings that he's been showing us going down the same path and where that may end up going that is not so great. All right, so I've got a real I've got the the signature quote the t the start of well I I would say the climax of his A Dance with Dragons uh prologue. And here we go. <clears throat> This is, of course, Varamir trying to seize Thistle's body. Abomination. Was that her or him or Hagon? He never knew. His old flesh fell back into the snowdrift as her fingers loosened. The spearwife twisted violently, shrieking. His shadow cat used to fight him wildly, and the snow bear had gone half mad for a time, snapping at trees and rocks and empty air. But this was worse. Get out! Get out! He heard her own mouth shouting. Her body staggered, fell, and rose again. Her hands flailed. Her legs jerked this way and that in some grotesque dance as his spirit and her own fought for this flesh. She sucked down a mouthful of the frigid air, and Vermeer had half a heartbeat to glory in the taste of it and the strength of this young body before her teeth snapped together and filled his mouth with blood. She raised her hands to his face. He tried to push them down again, but the hands would not obey, and she was clawing at his eyes. Abomination, he remembered, drowning in blood and pain and madness. When he tried to scream, she spat their tongue out. So, you know, um, very different look at skin changing, uh, much more in line with George's previous examples, like um, the pear-shaped man. Um, really horrifying um and it's it's a truly horrifying look at what happens when anyone other than brand performs the ultimate abomination in scheme and human skin changing this little spear wife biting on her own tongue raking at her eyes to keep Varamir from claiming her body for his own it's this is very george this is unbelievable it's Hard to even imagine what this would feel like, the mixing of identities as it goes back from Thistle to Varamir, his tongue, her tongue, her hands, his hands. It's 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 a weird like psychic wrestling match going on between them. <clears throat> 
but before we get going with the rest of the doc, I just wanted to take a second and uh, thank all of you that have been coming to these quarantine streams uh, while we're all stuck at home and the videos. Well, one video I've, I've put out recently, the other one's coming probably this week. Um, and this Crusader Kings two streams. Um, it's been a lot of fun doing this more often and seeing people really enjoy them. So that's been great. Also, thank you very much to my patrons. Um, at this point, we are seven away from my next patron goal, which is something I really don't want to do, but God help me, I will. It's analyzing Meat House Man, George R. R. Martin's worst story, his hardest to read, the darkest one he's ever done. Yeah, that, that'll be... That'll be fun. Seven more patrons and we get there. Um, kind of not looking forward to it, but kind of am. I don't know. It, it's really, it's a very hard read if you haven't done it. Also, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, share, hit the bell button. Uh, those things seem like pretty small and they maybe don't do much, but according to YouTube and what their engineers tell us, those are important signals for their bots to recommend the video. So if you haven't, please do so. It really helps out. Um, like slam it, slam it, do all the things. Um, <laughs> and kind of with that, that out of the way, let's go into, let's journey into the darkness of the child lump who became Veramir. Uh, yeah. Guilty undertaker. Meat house man is like a glimpse into Germ's mind as he went through a bad breakup. Yeah. It is like the darkest version. It is horrifying. It really it's actually kind of similar to Veramir's chapter. It is the same kind of um, horrific use of magic and well, not really. It's ma not magic and meat house, man, but it's the same kind of tone. It's the same kind of mind behind it. Like the POV you're seeing from not great, <laughs> but really shows his darkest side. Um, so let's start off. Veramir is not actually this character's name. That is the name he gave himself when he was 10 years old. He was born the eldest son to some wilding villagers on the coast in a hovel named Lump. Yep. That's the name of Veramir Sixkins. His name is Lump. Um, <laughs> he was born uh, premature, small and weak. There's a tradition within wildling culture where they don't give the children their names right away because they have such a high mortality rate. But even Lump didn't get his name for four years, which is exceedingly long. They usually get them after a year or two. Um, they were they were sure he was going to die, and they sort of treated him up that way. And he kind of internalized that. His older sister Miha Meha Miha uh, nicknamed him Lump during this time, and the name kind of stuck. That became his name until he was ten years old. Um, yeah, people are singing the Lump song. Yeah. Not exactly the imposing figure that became Veramir Sixkins. Just Lump, the kid in the village. Everyone thought that was going to die. Um, it's it's very similar to some of George's recurring archetypes with his cripples, bastards, and broken things. Veramir is very much in that vein. Uh, he's like Paramir the Twisted. He's like Bran Stark. He's like Tyrion. He's like Bloodraven. It's these characters that are outsiders within their society to their characters who are well after brand falls this becomes much the same way um where people sort of write them off a little bit with like willis tyrell a bit um 
these mind over physical traits, Littlefinger versus Brandon Stark, um, Bloodraven versus Bittersteel, that kind of thing. It's not great. Um, and it, it's, it's a trope he really likes. Well, I don't know if it's a trope, but it's definitely a character type he really likes leaning into and seeing where they go. Like Veramir could be like the end state of someone like Tyrion or someone like Bran. It's, it is that kind of exclusion from their society and looked down on. Um, oh, a super sticker from Morally saying I'm amazing. No, you. Thank you very much. It's very kind. Um, much like those characters, Veramir is um, fairly smart. He's, but he also has this insane gift in his skin changing. And as he was growing up, from this very. Um, was very humble upbringing beyond the wall. He dreamed of being king beyond the wall. He had ambitions from a young age and he internalized the, um, the way that everyone looked down on him. And this became almost like a revenge fantasy for him. Like it doesn't seem like he wanted to become king beyond the wall for, to help anybody. It's not like Mance where he's like, I need to get everybody on the other side of the wall to stop them from being killed by the others. Varamir is the kind of character who wants to become king to punish those who looked out on him. Um, oh, good question from Guilty Undertaker. Was Varamir visited by Bloodraven as well? Um, definitely. I mean, could be. Uh, Varamir is pretty old. I don't know if he was in the tree at that time, but he... One thing about Veramir that well, I was going to get into later, or Lump, as we're going to uh, Lump, is that it doesn't seem like he had a lot of green sight going on. It seems like he was just a very powerful skin changer. Um, he does briefly touch into the Weirwoods, but it doesn't seem like he has the same kind of abilities that uh, that Bran and Jojen have, or at least he doesn't talk about them in this chapter. <clears throat> so that's not a great start for young Lump. And then it gets even worse when we uh, go into his younger brother, Bump. Lump and Bump. Amazing naming skills from me on the wall here. Uh, he was born four years afterwards, and he kind of quickly became the family favorite. Um, he was everything that Lump was not. Bump was strong. He was healthy. He was well-liked. He got along well with people, even at a young age. And he sort of became his parents' favorite. Um, so Lump is already feeling inadequate that his parents think he's going to die. They're not really putting that much effort to him. And then a younger brother comes along and this younger brother is the golden child. Again, we've heard of this before elsewhere in a song of ice and fire. Um, there's a, there's a really intense jealousy between Lump and Bump. Um, and it's even like their names, like the name Lump is not really a great name. That's not something that's not a good hang on, let me see if I can change this. Okay, that looks good. Um it's it's almost an insult. It's like being called Blood Raven instead of Brendan Rivers, or um Tyrion called the Demon Monkey or something like that. But then Bump comes along, gets a similar name, and now it's not an insult. He even like Bump is taking, at least in Varamir's mind, the one thing he has, which is his name and his place in the family. Uh it's noted by um, Veramir or Lump in the in the Dance with Dragons chapter that um, he thinks about Bump quite a lot. He says, "Bump, she weeps for Blump. She weeps for Bump, but she never wept for me." Um, he definitely felt the difference between the two between his parents' treatment of his younger brother and himself, and got again very very jealous. Uh, made his feelings of inadequacy about 
even his place in waddling culture because it's a society that really rewards people that are physically strong, that are able to survive out in the woods, be great woodsmen, be hunters, be warriors. And Lump will never be that. And it seems like Bump is going to. And it pushes him even further outside the family unit to the point that his skin changer abilities um, become what he focuses on. And he starts skin changing his family's three dogs. We have Loptail, Sniff, and Growler. Way better than Lump and Bump as names. Um, it seems like these were his only friends. Like, it seems like nobody in the village liked him. His parents didn't like him. His siblings didn't like him. But he had these these dogs that he could skin change into and he could run and play with them. It's we, we see a similar relationship between like John and Ghost and Bran and Summer where when everyone else is pushing them away, at least they at least Varamir or Lump had these. Um Luminous Rain asked, what did Varamir work first? It was his family dogs, the three dogs. Um, <laughs> oh, thanks, more. Love all of Joe Magician's content on his channel. Thank you. Um, he says he, there's another quote where he says he dreamt, he dreamt an old dream of a hummel by, of a hovel by the sea, three dogs whimpering, a woman's tears. Again, Varamir, it, it seems the only parts of his young life that he looks back on fondly were these three dogs. Um, they were his, like his, his secret when everything else was going wrong. They were his friends. They were his companions. They were where he could run and hide to. And actually there's a quote lump could not hide from him, could not slip, slip behind his mother's skirts or run off with the dogs to escape his father's fury. The dogs Loptail, sniffer, the growler, they were good dogs. They were my friends. So again, we get told that there's abuse here from his father. Um, oh, hey, Chloe. Um, Dr. Professor Magician, PhD. That's me, Dr. Professor Magician, PhD. Um, uh, Unspun Yarn, they were his pack. Exactly. He, this this was his family. These three dogs were his family. Um, and it really heightened his ability to... Um, to enhance his skin changing because the more he connected with them, the more he probably felt less like himself that he was able to be something else for a little bit, maybe feel some happiness. Oh, a uh, super sticker from Andrea. Uh, thank you very much. That's very kind. Awesome. Um, Sheba doing a dance. <laughs> super stickers are, are also an option. There's super chats and super stickers. Um, it's noted in this chapter that dogs are usually the easiest for any kind of skin changer to go into. Wargs are the most common. Wolves are less common than dogs, but they're still both pretty easy. It, there's a familiarity, I think, that George is imagining of the family unit and the, the way that dogs and humans have kind of co-evolved to become a unit that makes it really easy. Oh. Although they they do branch out sometimes. Um, so at some point, Lump's jealousy of Bump getting their mother's love and not receiving the fury of their father turned from um, just dislike of his younger brother into murderous intent. And Lump turned his dogs on Bump, killing the toddler and forcing the dog to eat some of his flesh. Uh Early on in Varamir's chapter, he's using his three wolves later, again, mirroring his pack when he was younger. He just recreated them as he got older. Um, they killed two men and a woman and a, and a baby, and 
He says, a child's flesh, he thought, remembering bump human meat. Varamir tasted his own brother's flesh as he killed him through the dogs. Um, <clears throat> and then there's a particularly brutal quote where up until this point, nobody in this family knew that Lump was a skin changer. This wasn't really a thing They like maybe they suspected like people suspect with John and Ghost and Bran and um, and Summer. But it was not explicit until this happens. Uh, God, this is rough to read. When his father found the dog sniffing around Bump's body, he had no way of knowing which had done it, so he took his axe to all three. His hand shook so badly that it took two blows to silence Sniff and four to put the growler down. The smell of blood hung heavy in the air, and the sounds of the dying dogs... And the, and the sounds the dying dogs had made were terrible to hear, yet Lobtail still came when his father called him. He was the oldest dog, and his training overcame his fear. By the time Lump slipped inside his skin, it was too late. No, father, please, he tried to say. But the dogs could not speak the tongues of man, so all that emerged, all that merged was a piteous whine. The axe crashed into the middle of the old dog's skull, and inside the hovel, the boy let out a scream. That was how they knew. Two days later, his father dragged him out into the woods. He brought his axe, so Lump thought he meant to put him down the same way he had done with the dogs. Instead, he'd given him to Hagen. Um, yeah, that's... It's uh, extremely heartbreaking. Um, it's... This This was Varamir describing his first death, as he calls it. He has died many times when he's been in other animals. And... You can see, even from this description, that this was not an easy decision for Lump's father. Um, he loved his young son, but he also clearly loved these animals. His hands were shaking as he tried to kill him. He wasn't able to do it cleanly, despite being um, somebody that's, since they're at least surviving, he has some sort of ability with an axe and the ability to kill things in a hunter-gatherer society. And it's... <sighs> the way that that lump feels guilt at this but not really it's not really guilt at killing bump that that doesn't really factor into it it's more guilt that his dogs are being punished when it was him and when he went and he goes into Lopptail's skin and tries to call it to his father he's trying to say at least spare this one it wasn't his fault it was mine i did it and instead we see him being killed by an axe crashing through his skull. Um, extremely t horrible backstory. Um, <sighs> we don't see anything like this, I think, from the Stark so far. We've mostly seen it the other way. There's some idea that... Well, shades, of course, of Sansa and Lady and Ned, where it was not Lady's fault... It was not Lady who mauled Joffrey or bit his arm. It was obviously Nymeria and Ned loving Sansa and loving Lady and Arya has to kill the dog. And uh, it really it really broke Varamir in a way where it, he didn't really care about his younger brother Bump. He uh, it's it, it, 
that's not what this is about. This is about him losing his pack and his father killing his friends. That's that's his perspective. That's not how you should see it. But that is how uh, Lump saw this event, that he that his dogs were being punished for something that was not their fault, rather than being like, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have killed my brother and used my dogs to eat him. Um, uh, Thunderclap, is he six? Is he four at this point? Um, he's probably about six or seven when this happens. Um, and this, this is something that is a, a returning theme in Vermeer's chapter and him personally, where he does not, this is actually something that I talked about with poor Quentin a few weeks ago when we talked about Euron, where Vermeer is not seeing other people as people. He's only, um, seeing their pain in reference to him. Like he sees this in terms of his dogs dying and him being thrown out of the house. I mean, obviously, but Think about how this must have felt from his father and his mother. Not only did they lose one son in Bump, mauled by the dogs that they clearly loved, then they have to deal with the realization that it wasn't just a dog gone wild. It was their other son who did it. He was a kinslayer, and beyond that, he was a skin changer, and their other son ate the flesh of their dead son through these animals. This is, like, deeply traumatic for the whole family. It's that his father didn't kill lump is pretty remarkable in this situation um other people probably would not have been as merciful it kind of shows you i mean you don't have a lot of sympathy for his father because obviously from vermeer's perspective there was some abuse going back and forth but there that family was destroyed in that day and vermeer is lamenting that his dogs are being punished it's um it says a lot about him going forwards. There's not a lot of empathy going around for the character. <laughs> uh, good, call, good call, Mod Mary One. Uh, he could have saved the dogs by confessing to the murder of his brother. He tried to. I mean, he tried to go into the dogs and say it's me, but that's... He's trying to take um, responsibility, but not in a, in a real way. Um, this is something that was going to come up later, but I'll talk about it now. Um, Luminous Rain says, I wonder if they think about it that way or they feel differently because he was gifted by the old gods, basically a shaman born into their family. Hagen talks about this um, where be south of the wall, skin changers or warger are generally hunted, burned at the stake, killed if they're discovered, that kind of thing. That um, the wildlings and their culture are more accepting of skin changers, but not... not Totally. It is not, they are not like worshiped as gods. They are essentially seen as outsiders. They are like sort of inhuman in a way. So in one day, this whole family falls apart. One son dead, the other one essentially dead as they give him up to a local skin changer and wipe their hands from him. Um, yeah. And th this is also a start of a pattern that you also see in Euron Greyjoy with his. Um, with his questioning of the gods and the rules and how he perceives everything. Um, Varamir is very much in the same way where I'm sure from this moment, he, his takeaway was, well, what, what's the use of the old gods if I'm not punished? And he seems to do Euron type of things later in his life where 
he's a kinslayer. He's a cannibal. He's a skin changer. He's done all these horrible things at a young age. And his punishment is just, he's not allowed to live with his family anymore. That has to have sort of emboldened him in a way that in the same way it did Euron when he killed his brother, uh, Cain and Abel sort of stuff. Um, Oh yeah. Uh, Phil H Cain plus Abel slash cannibal Cain. Yep. Very mirror is the worst. Uh, so from this moment, lump is transferred from being, um, the son of his family. And he's given over to this random skin changer named Hagon, a warg. Uh, he tries to instruct the boy, tries to essentially salvage him. He, um, teaches him to be a woodsman. He teaches him about how to build a trade. He teaches him about his gift. He introduces to other people like himself. Um, notably he takes Hagen takes Vermeer or lump at this point to Eastwatch where they trade skins. Well, he trades, um, he trades skins from animals. They killed, uh, in for goods from the night's watch. I think he, they get salt in a copper pot and some other stuff. It's, Hagon's trying to show him life, how he can exist within the society without being essentially a monster, which it seems like he's very much on his way to doing so. Um, but even still, like I was talking about, they are not treated as parts of the society. They are treated as somewhat else. They are treated as inhuman, almost animalish. Um, you can see sort of maybe children of the forest versus first men things here because they're so related to the old gods where there's there's fear but and there's respect especially for Varamir later in the in the um in a dance with dragons but it's not it's not like ned stark and his and his vassals it's closer to just pure fear um oh super chat from um Lumnia M, um, have to leave, but love your work. Thank you. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you very much for that. Um, and he really does try to give him moral guidance and tries to introduce him to the society of skin changers. It's, it's noted that, uh, Varamir met Orel during these. Um, it's, it's actually a really interesting thing because it's noted within the chapter that most of the skin changers are wargs where they have, um, Okay, centered a little bit better. There we go. Uh, a lot of them have dogs or direwolves, but he sees the other ones. There's um, a woman who has a shadow cat. There's people who have owls and hawks and ravens. Um, Oro with his eagle. It's very similar in a way to his dark materials, where we're introduced to the idea that this relationship is not one way. It is a two-way um it is a two-way relationship where the the warg and the animal, the skin changer and the animal, affect each other. It said, spend too much time in the clouds and you never want to come back down again. I know skin changers who've tried hawks, owls, and ravens. Even in their own skins, they sit moony, staring up at the bloody blue. Uh, this was something I remember from His Dark Materials where before Lyra's daemon becomes permanent, she meets um, some, sh some people... Um, um, some seamen, um, on her journey to the North. And they warn her about like, don't let your daemon enjoy the water too much. If they become a dolphin or something like that, you'll be stuck near the water forever. Um, so similar idea going on here. 
um, emerging of spirits. It is not just the, the, it is not just basically like the controller and the body walking around. It's a two way relationship, which is really important for something we'll talk about later. Um, uh, the, the fandom villain, Jeff Hartline, Brendan B fish, who among us hasn't met some semen. I'm sure you've met quite a lot in your time. Boom. Got him. <clears throat> he also meets, um, uh, what's his name? Barack broke, uh, and his boar, which shows up later in John's chapters showing that all these, that there are not that many, um, skin changers, even beyond the wall. They are intensely rare and they all know each other. Uh, there's some sort of idea where they can identify each other. And then we get to Hagen's rules. Obviously, he knows what Lump did. He knows he's a kinslayer. He knows he's a cannibal. So Hagen tries to essentially drill into him this idea of abominations and how to not be one, which Faramir does not kick kindly to. Um, he says, men may eat the flesh of beasts and beasts the flesh of men, but the man who eats the flesh of man is an abomination. Uh, then he goes on to say, to mate as wolf with wolf was an abomination. To seize the body of another man was the worst abomination of all. <laughs> and this is Veramir's reaction to, the, to those. Um, Hagen was weak, afraid of his own power. He died weeping and alone when I ripped his second life from him. Veramir had devoured his heart himself. He taught me much and more. And the last thing I learned from him was the taste of human flesh. So... Yeah, Veramir's reaction to like, hey, man, don't be quite as awful. Don't be the worst person in the world is essentially, well, you're being limited by morality. What's wrong with you? You should be you should be glorying in your abilities as skin changer. Do the abominations like what's the worst that's going to happen again? A very um, Euron idea. Um, this is something I talked about during Con of Thrones, I think, two years ago or three years ago, I guess now, because it's on. um on hiatus at the moment um what do these different abomin what do these rules tell you okay so don't be a cannibal um we see why essentially that once there's some sort of weird sweetness to it that vermeer starts liking human flesh um even though it's supposed to create a division between yourself and the animal that you don't use the animals to hunt other humans it's sort of a, a respect of life sort of thing or respect of human life um <laughs> uh yeah j um j dead redhead says hey he's like hey absolutely do not do these two things lump got my go-to list yeah that's basically what happens he essentially runs down them trying to do every single one uh the mate wolf to wolf one is a theory that i wrote a while ago um it's it's really confusing about this one why it's in there it's uh, what seems to be the danger there like the danger of engaging cannibalism as a as a skin changer is obvious you would prey on your fellow people but why does it matter if you're inside an animal while it's mating with another one i theorize that it maybe there's a possibility of like creating a beast that has skin changer powers maybe passing it on or something like that otherwise it's really unexplained why this one was included um I don't really know why. That was my best guess. Um, like, imagine if you had a an animal that could control men. 
that kind of thing. It may also go back to how this gift may have passed from children of the forest to humans. That that link is not really explored, but it's definitely something to theorize about. Um, and then the last one, do not seize the body of another man was the worst abomination of all. Hey, Bran. How you doing, buddy? This one's about you. This one's about you, Bran Stark, you and Hodor. Um, this is George explicitly calling out that all those... Like those funny moments or the, that fun time of Bran finally getting to walk around in Hodor's body is actually the worst. This is the worst thing you can do as a skin changer. And Bran is doing it on the regular. He is thinking about it like, no big deal. I just have Hodor's body. <laughs> it's normal. He doesn't fight. Meanwhile, George R. R. Martin, Bran, this is the worst. Don't do this. So... Yeah, that one's just direct foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> it, I think the, a larger purpose that I was going to get into a little a little bit later, but just to talk about it a little bit, the purpose of the Varamir chapter seems to be talking about Bran, that this is maybe a possible end state of Bran's life if he continues going down this path that you he may end up like Varamir. And as we see throughout the chapters that happen in Dance with Dragons, wow, he is really going for all of them. The only one he hasn't done is basically the mate with somebody while in another body. So awesome. Great stuff, Bran. You're doing the abominations. Hagen would hate you. Uh, and at 10 years old, Hagen renames himself Veramir and started counting his number of skins as his name. Uh, these are all things he gave himself. Nobody called him Veramir. Um, he says he named himself Veramir when he was 10, a name fit for a lord, a name for songs, a mighty name, a fearsome. It's kind of like um, every edgy kid on the internet when they're 10 years old and they have to make their first screen name and they just make the worst one and it's not intimidating it's just a stupid name that's what Veramir is Veramir he started off as three skins uh, somebody on twitter noted oh at one point he was Veramir four skins yes George is George is fond of his dirty jokes um Lumpy came Veramir and this is sort of like his like his Anakin to Vader thing, because it's afterwards that he decides I've had enough of Hagen. I've had enough of his lessons. I've had enough of listening to him calling me abomination because I'm doing all the things he says is the worst. So the newly minted Darth Varamir kills Hagen. Not only kills him, he kills him, eats his heart, says he actually does eat his heart. Maybe he actually did it personally and then claims his... Um, Then claims his wolf for himself, the old wolf Grayskin. Essentially, none of them had been as strong as Veramir's six skins, though. Not even Hagen, tall and grim with his hands as hard as stone. The hunter died weeping after Veramir took, Verim took Grayskin from him. Wow. Driving him out to claim the beast for his own. No second life for you, old man. Veramir three skins, he called himself back then. Grayskin made four. Though the old wolf was frail and almost toothless, and Sue followed Hagon into death. So this is ten years old. Um, little Vermeer has certainly upgraded. He has killed his mentor. He has eaten his heart. He has 
taken his second life, which is another important part of this chapter. Uh, and essentially the worst. Varamir continues being the worst. Darth of Varamir. Yeah. This is such a hard chapter to read. <laughs> He's such an awful person. Um, but it's also noted that after this happens, that it is Varamir sort of th- thinks of it in terms of I claimed Grayskin from him. I killed Hagon. He's gone. But not really. Um he is not Hagon is not gone. There's some sort of weird merging um of Hagon and Varamir into one person where Hagon almost becomes like his conscience. A conscience he doesn't listen to. Never listens to, but he's still there. As he gets worse, he sees hallucinations of Hagon. He hears his voice in his head. It's it's this it's this idea that Again, like where it's not just a one-way relationship like Varamir wants it to be, where he just wants to be the master, the strong one. They they become one, with, but Varamir is still dominant, even after he took him into his body, his soul. I don't really know what's going on there. Um, and Varamir seems to have taken it really personally that Hagen kept calling him in his actions an abomination and killed him for it. Also, probably some sort of revenge against his father. Uh, it seems that he had, in those years that they were together, Hagon had become an avatar of his father in his life. Um, the death is doubly awesome for Varamir as he gets to kill his mentor and his father at the same time, basically. Oh, super chat from um, Delphi Morphia. Uh, thank you for this awesome comment. No, thank you. So yeah, that's 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 Varamir Sixkins at ten years old. Killed his brother, ate him. No empathy for anybody. Seems like he really wants to just run through the list of every th- bad thing he can do and do them one by one. Kills his mentor, eats him too. To dies in the second life. Takes his wolf. Feels pretty good about it. Awful. Just again. Brand <laughs> like about Bran as this is happening and compare these events to what's happening to him. Um, oh, hey, uh, Amanda Speedlands is here. She put out two great videos this week. Should definitely check them out on King's Blood and um, and the leeches that Melisandre uh, threw into the flames. Shockingly, Melisandre made stuff up. Who could have seen that coming? So then we get to Varamir Sixkins. Uh, this is by the time we get to the main storyline. He's much older at this point. He has claimed six animals in total. He has remade his pack from when he was young. He has three wolves, one eye, stalker, and sly. Um, he has a giant snow bear, a shadow cat, and he has also decided that he needs to take Orel's eagle because he is so cruel that he can't let anybody else have good things in this world. So Orel is not allowed his second life. Um, he also goes through just sort of a skin changing 101 here. He says dogs and sh- dire wolves are dogs and wolves are easiest. Dire wolves are a little harder, but for Varamir, um, he notes that shadow cats and bears are really hard, but he enjoyed the challenge of bending another sentient being to his will that hated him. And he got to make them do whatever he wanted, because if it's not clear by now, Varamir is in every way a, um, a rapist and a predator that he, that's what he enjoys. This is his whole thing. 
the the feeling of power over people that can't resist him. Yeah. Uh, the bear's reaction to Varimir, as he notes, is pure hatred. Um, would When Varimir loses control, the bear goes crazy, kills everyone around him, tries to find Varimir but can't, ends up being killed beforehand. Um, Shadowcat also hates him unbelievably. All of his animals don't like him. Even as he's dying, his pack starts coming towards him, uh, probably thinking Varimir sort of hints that the wolves are going to eat him. Because as like a revenge for all the things he's done to them also because he's just meat and they don't really care about him awful <clears throat> uh the the more fascinating part of his animals though is the eagle that hagen forced Orel out of again with like with hagen he thinks of it in terms as the eagle's now mine that Orel can get, go screw i took his second life i took his animal but again there's sort of um, a merging of their personalities that Hagen actually has a strong dislike of Jon Snow because Orel did, because Jon killed him. Um, that hate has passed from man to eagle to man again. It's, it's something else. It's, but it's again demonstrating this point that the second lives and like Jojen told Bran early on, th- the more you stay in the beast, the more the beast becomes you. Hey, Jon Snow, I was talking to Bran earlier. I think we should talk to you about this one, about what happens when you spend a lot of time in a second life in an animal, how you come back very different. Hmm. And then we get to how Vermeer decided to live his life. Hagen tried to give him a life as a trader, as a woodsman, moving between communities not not really succeeding in like the way that you would think of like in a capitalist society but you know he's able to live in relative peace despite being this outcast Vermeer goes the other way he decides that's not enough Hagon was weak i'm gonna use my powers to make sure that everyone hates me and he does Vermeer takes Hagon's home and almost sets himself up like a southern lord which is an interesting move on his part because he's very obsessed with becoming a lord, a king, having power over other people, and he starts doing that. He sets up in this in this uh, hovel or this cabin or whatever it is, and sends out his animals to go um, essentially bully the nearby villages. And he would send his shadow cat out to stalk women and force them to come back and have sex with him, and he would impregnate them. Um, he would also force them to give him supplies and gold and all these other kind of things. So he sort of set himself up as like he has like the skin changer tax on the surrounding community. Again, maybe emphasizing why people don't like skin changers. Sometimes they do this kind of thing. <clears throat> a girl nettle says, where did Vermeer get the idea of being a lord? Has he gone south of the wall? Uh, he went to Eastwatch and he learned about Southern culture while he was there with Hagon. Um, he got very jealous of those beyond the wall. Hagen tries to tell him, oh, no, 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 don't go beyond the wall. They'd hate you there. Vermeer's like, wait, you're telling me not to do something and it would be bad. I think I should do it. Uh, so he tries to be his own little king beyond the wall. This may be the origin of ideas like First Night that we see within First Man culture where um, the lords are allowed to have sex with women. Uh, before their husbands do when they're married and if they aren't allowed to or if they're not paid off then there can be serious consequences 
Varamir is essentially doing that. Um, and this may is actually should make you like reconsider. Like a lot of the the legends we get about old skin changers and Garth and his children and what all these people were like, it may have been people like Veramu who set up these power structures that exist to today, using their skin changing, using these animals in order to secure power over the region that nobody else can can really challenge. Because how do you fight Veramir? He's got six animals around him all the time. Um, he's he can be anywhere. He can show up in the middle of the night controlling a shadow cat and kill you and your family. Um, at some point, you'd assume the villagers would have risen up and just killed him. Um, but they weren't really organized to, to do that. He, Varamir talks about how they sent village heroes out to get him to rescue girls that he had taken. Um, and he would just kill them and use them as examples for how you should not challenge him. Um, yeah. This Varamir is basically a supervillain at this point. He has become the worst version of skin changers. How you can take this ability that George has been showing us the Starks having where it's just like, oh, isn't this some cool thing? Like you can be a wolf. You can run around and be free in the night. Bran sees it awesomely. And then you see this version of what skin changers can do where they can use this insane magical power they have to oppress and essentially set themselves up in a situation where nobody can touch them, where they can do whatever they want. Um, when you think about characters like the Warg King of Sweet Dragon Point, um, I think maybe called Gavin Greywolf or something like that, Garth and his children, the first king, like all these figures, they may have been doing what Varamir is doing here. Not cool. <clears throat> but, you know, over time, those things get lost the the details of how the power was set up becomes just tradition like we hear in the in the main books like the starks the old starks were old hard men that they they were a very different sort than ned stark is now yeah think of Varamir when you think about them talking about that And then we get to Mance Raider. Actually, some uh, Ned Braden in the chat. We just wanted to talk about Mance. Yeah, what is Mance Raider doing with a guy like Varamir? Why is he like allowing this horrible, terrible person with this ability that's uncontrollable into his court? And it's there, there's there's a few things going on. For one thing, like Melisandre and Stannis. Vermeer is useful. He has Oron, his eagle. He has the ability to use these animals, but he's also sort of um, symbolic within. Oh, the springs really reverberate in the mic. Whoops. Sorry about that. Um, he's kind of a symbol of the old gods that Mance uses, like the trappings of power, because his abil Vermeer's abilities are so tightly wound into the children of the forest and the old gods. And. The green seers that having Varamir on his side is sort of like the gods approving, even if Varamir is a terrible, terrible person. Um, and you see from like Thistle and other characters that those that don't know Varamir personally do see him as somebody to look up to as a leader. Um, of course, absolutely untrue. Varamir would sooner 
kill you than reward you or take care of you. He would be the worst kind of lord you could ever have. But in a way, he's become like almost a skin changer superhero with his abilities. He's become legendary. So in that way, even though I'm sure Mance wanted nothing to do with Varamir Sixkins, if it was up to him, he probably would have jabbed a knife in his throat and let him bleed out in their in their tent. It, they sort of need each other. Um, and it's also noted that so that's why Mance wanted Varamir. Why does Varamir want Mance? And it's it's not for any good reasons. Varamir wants to use Mance in order to get beyond the wall and be one of the new southern lords set up that i mean he is trying to escape the others but we know mance's reasons for doing what he's doing is more altruistic he's trying to save everybody beyond the wall from the oncoming endless winter and death that is coming Vermeer could not give less of a shit about the people around him that is not what he's doing this for uh he is doing it just out of greed and to again Throw it in Vermeer, throw it in Hagen's face. He wants to be the awful ward king beyond the wall, uses abilities to find more people to exploit, more things to take. Awesome. <clears throat> uh, it's also noted that while in Mance's camp, Vermeer is not hiding anything about himself. Um, there's sort of this idea that skin changers tend to hide themselves amongst around strangers. They don't, they don't usually let their abilities be known. Faramir says, screw it. I'm just, everybody can see what I can do all the time. I'm switching between animals. I'm riding a bear. I've got a pack of wolves following me. It's an element of mystique to him. It's an element of display of power because as we, as I noted early on, Faramir is very much a unimposing figure uh, once he loses his animals and he starts running beyond the wall from the army because spoiler of course he's a coward um nobody recognizes him anymore nobody knows what he looks like his his image is not his person his image is him and his animals without the animals he's nothing and that's kind of how Vermeer positions himself um hedgehogs and cats are life says mance has got the social contract approval and vermeer got the magic power infuses them together yeah basically that's what's going on there that's the reason that mance cares about vermeer why he's not killing him why they're not leaving him in a ditch he he offers things that he can't get anywhere uh this is this is again a really hard chapter to read very Euron-esque, very knowing how he has to be perceived in order to remain power, to remain in power. It's, um, I imagine that Vermeer and Euron would get along very well for about 10 minutes before they killed each other. <laughs> yes, he's riding bareback. Oh, oh, yes, he is riding bareback. Hmm. Not great. Um, let's see here. A guilty undertaker says, Mance isn't the first king to make use of monsters. Absolutely not. That's true. I mean, absolutely. Uh, like uh, Tywin's use of the mountain. That's what Vermeer's offering. Or Bloodraven and, um, and Daron the Good. This is 
the, the same sort of relationship that's going on here. <laughs> I know. I, I just keep saying like, oh, this is awful and sighing, but like, this is like reading Meat House, man. This is this is like Vermeer is that kind of person, the worst kind of person you can imagine. Like if you were spending all your time inside like Ramsey Bolton's head, it's it's that kind of horrific person. And then we so um, so let's talk about where he is in the chapter, because we've sort of gotten up to this point. <clears throat> so Mance takes his army, they march on the wall, Stannis shows up. Uh, with his big army and they just absolutely scatter the wildlings destroy their army take man's captive and you know what happens to big bad vermeer with his six skins and his bears and his wolves oh yeah he turns and runs he lets go of all of his animals um although it's specifically after the eagle explodes while he's in it oral's eagle explodes um People have been wondering about that for a while. I don't have an answer on it. Um, Melisandre takes credit for it. Um, she does say her powers are in greatly increased at the wall more than they ever were before. Maybe she can cause things to explode in her mind like some kind of dark phoenix figure. Um, so between that and the arrival of Stannis, uh, Varamir turns and runs. He gives up control. Let's have a quote here. His sleeping pelts and woolen small clothes, his sheepskin boots and fur-lined gloves, his store of meat and hoarded food, the hanks of hair he took from the women he bedded. I forgot about that detail. He would take trophies from the women that he would rape. Awesome. Even the golden arm rings man's had given him, all lost and left behind. I burned and I died and then I ran, half mad with pain and terror. The memory still shamed him. Interesting that Vermeer can still feel shame. I thought he was devoid of emotions. <clears throat> but he had not been alone. Others had run as well, hundreds of them, thousands. The battle was lost. The knights had come invincible in their steel, killing everyone who stayed to fight. It was run or die. So, yeah. Way to go, Vermeer. Uh, faced with all the things you've been building yourself up to, this amazing... Um, this amazing image you've created for yourself, your Vermeer six skins. You, you ride a bear. You're this. You will save everybody when the knights show up, and it's just knights. It's just dudes on horseback um, with steel and swords. Vermeer turns and runs like the coward that he is, leaving everyone who was counting on him and Mance's leadership structure to fall apart. Which also makes it really funny because in this chapter. Vermeer thinks about how I could have just killed Mance to become king beyond the wall. It's this moment where he turns and runs with everybody else and gives up every gives up his veneer that shows why he would never become king beyond the wall wall, why nobody would ever follow him. Because there's there's nothing there. It is all just about himself. He would never take care of anybody. He would never fulfill the social contract that we see that the Starks and Mance cultivate so strongly between themselves and those following them. Vermeer doesn't believe in those things. Vermeer only believes in being the worst person at all times, um, basically being a serial killer, a cannibal. <clears throat> uh, the bear, he loses his bear. The bear goes nuts. It is so 
happy, I guess is the right word, at being released from Varamir's control. It starts killing everyone around him, trying to find Varamir so that it can personally rip the little guy to shreds. Again, this says a lot about if you think of him and his animals as the Lord versus the vassals, his vassals, when they're finally free of him, all they want to do is basically kill him and eat him. I think that says quite a lot about what Varamir would be like as a real lord. Oh, uh, Rod Dammit says over 200 in the chat. Hit that like button. Yes, please do. Thanks, everybody. We got an hour left to go. Um, also, after this, go see Radio Westeros, where noted um, <clears throat> noted fandom smarty pants poor Quentin will be talking with Lady Gwyn and Yolkboy about Theon. Definitely going to enjoy that one. Um, I'll put a, a link as we get towards the end. Hour to go. So don't leave yet. Uh, they start at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <clears throat> uh, yeah, <laughs> Hedgehog says again, I feel really bad that Bear didn't get to murder his abuser. Yeah, that's that's the really that's what you should think. Like Varamir is like, oh, man, that bear really hated me. I'm glad I got away. But yeah, have empathy for the bear. <laughs> who was essentially Varamir's slave, and when it got the chance, wanted to kill him so, 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 so hard. Uh, same thing happens with the Shadow Cat. The second Varamir releases his control, the Shadow Cat runs and doesn't look back, uh, running back to its home. Uh, the wolves are interesting what happens here. I mean, the, the eagle burns from inside out. Again, a horrifying image from George, but the wolves run off into the woods rather than going to Varamir. Um... They don't help him. They don't guard him. They essentially say, the little terrible guy is gone. Awesome. We're out of here. And they run off into the woods. Varamir eventually reconnects and gets control of those three back. But even then, there's a tension where um, they kind of want to kill him too. Uh, and you sort of end the chapter with that essentially happening, where Varamir is sort of steering them back towards his body for a meal. It's, again, like I was talking about, the Varamir has no loyalty from anybody. He is just am about amassing power and using, like, um, Machiavellian fear and power to remain where he is. But as soon as that is gone, he, nobody will help him. It's a, a similar thing you see beyond in the southern kingdoms, like what's going to happen to Roos as soon as he loses Winterfell? What happens to... The Lannisters, when Tywin is gone, it's everything's going to fall apart because none of the people he has power over give a shit about him and never will. <clears throat> um, and then as if he could not get any worse, um, <laughs> Varamir gets is trying to loot a dead body for a cloak, a squirrel skin cloak, and a child uh, jumps out of the woods and stabs him for it. And Varamir essentially bemoans this and complains to Thistle, the spearwife, uh, who has been nursing him. Without nursing him, that's the wrong word. Taking care of him afterwards. Uh, Varamir's like, why does he care? The woman's dead. And Thistle just goes like, you know, that was his mom. And you were looting her corpse. And he's like, yeah, so what? She's dead already. Nothing. I'm not doing anything wrong. It's like... Again, you're not getting it, Varamir. You're not getting it that humans care about each other, that there are relationships between them. Um, <laughs> uh, 
he he just does not he doesn't get it he at no level does he understand why a child would want to stand over their dead mother and protect her even her corpse and her her belongings from a stranger who's trying to loot them um and i'm sure in his own head Verme was like well my mother didn't care about me so who gives a shit but yeah Uh, yeah, Amanda. I mean, it was a, it was a cool cloak. That's why Varamir wanted. He's like, oh, that looks pretty, looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's not the fact that he was robbing a corpse. It's that Varamir is doesn't understand why why that kid would care. Why it was worth killing him over his mother's corpse. That that's the point trying to trying to make there. Not that. I mean, everybody in this world loots corpses. It's just, you usually don't do it in front of their family. <clears throat> yeah. And then, of course, um, unbelievably, someone in this world wants to take care of Aramir Sixkins. But it's not actually him that she wants to take care of. Uh, this... The spearwife Thistle, after he is stabbed, takes actually remarkably good care of him. She's sort of acting almost as a mother to him in these times, or a daughter. Um, it's noted that Vamir did have a bunch of kids, but they were all weak and pathetic and not and didn't have his gift. Again, similar to Euron saying, like, oh, he has kids all over the place, but he doesn't give a crap about them. Same sort of thing. Um, the Thistle uh, binds his wound. She gets him to a a shelter and makes a fire. She goes out looking for food. She's taking care of him. She's doing all the things she said. And Varamir's internal POV while this is happening is like, I need to steal her body. I need to like make her pay for this kindness. She is showing me. Um, it's unclear if she recognizes Varamir or not, because she does talk about him. She calls him Lord Varamir, but she says it in like the, the abstract that describing what happened at the, the battle at the wall that Varamir and Tormund and Mance and all the, and Harma all like they disappeared when they needed the most. Um, I got to figure if she knew it was him that she wouldn't be helping. It's just like, it's, it's human connection. It's a human kindness. It's, it's community. It's the thing that Mance was trying to build. And, uh, <clears throat> the, the things that Varamir feels like he never got growing up from his own mother. And yeah, Varamir wants to make her pay for being a nice person to her, to uh, being a nice person to him. Um, while he's going through his hallucinations, he's constantly thinking about, oh, he already should have tried to take her body before she went for went for food. Um, he he thinks over and over again how she abandoned him, how she had no intention of coming back. Again, he's projecting onto her. He would not come back for her, so he can't imagine that she's coming back. Um, it's this common decency that is really lost on this character. The common decency of being in a village, of being in a family. There's no reason for Thistle to be kind to Varamir. He, as far as she's concerned, she's just an old woman. I mean, he's just an old man who's been stabbed, and they're both probably going to die in the woods, but it's important to her as a person to help him out in his time of need. And that is something he will never understand, <laughs> not until the end of his life. And then even beyond. Um, 
it's interesting when we're thinking about human skin changing again the brand connection starts coming up where brand is sort of unaware of what he's doing is terrible faramir knows exactly how horrible what he's going to do to this woman is he's planning it he's plotting it he wants her to come back not just for the food but so he can take her body and it's one thing to for bran i think this is the main difference between the characters it's one thing for bran to do it kind kind of ignorant of how bad it is Vermeer knows exactly how bad it is and he's planning to do it anyway to the one person who's being kind to him um oh oh poor thistle she is coming back um but she comes back unfortunately with someone trailing her she comes back with the others who are taking advantage of uh, stannis's massacre of the wildlings to turn them into new troops the army of the undead are walking through the woods again and this this again speaks to the quality of thistle's character she very much probably should leave Vermeer to die in a survival sense she should leave him in that hovel say screw it i need to get somewhere else but Thistle, seeing the danger coming, runs back to this old man she's been taking care of and tries to get him up, tries to get him out of the way, tries to run from the White Walkers that are the others that are coming for him. Ugh. I feel worse and worse for Thistle the more I talk about this. <clears throat> um... Let's see here what's going on in the chat oh yes debating the the morality of brand taking a body for himself um in the same way that uh Vermeer ends up getting revenge on his father through hagon it appears that he views thistle as his mother and that for the crime of crying about her dead son um Vermeer wants to punish punish the soul like he wants to punish her it's noted that uh Vermeer at one point did go back to the village to try and find his parents and his older sister and could not find them knowing what we know about him it's very likely he probably went back to maybe kill them or that was on his mind um thistle <laughs> yes jay moray thistle deserves better um it's unfortunate that she was nursing back to life the worst person in Mance's army. Uh, and then we have the absolute horrible moment that I talked about at the top of the stream where Vermeer throws his body out out of his throws his soul out of his body because George sort of has this idea that the the soul and the body are two separate things. I think it's called um, Cartesian dualism where they are two separate entities. So Essentially, if you can imagine it, Vermeer, the soul, jumps out of the body, the body collapses to the ground, and the soul flies into Thistle. And they end up doing, uh, George has talked about it in his other works, he calls it mind wrestling. It's in um, Night Flyers, it's in um, The Pear-Shaped Man, it's in uh, The Glass Flower. The idea of two, two souls fighting over this one body essentially trying to do like almost like a star warsy weak-minded versus strong-minded thing for control of it and um 
specifically in the glass flower, um, that is the game that they play where somebody like Varamir gets a victim like Thistle and they essentially, if you win, you get their body and you swap. Um, although a little bit different here in Varamir has no intention of giving Thistle his old body. He thinks that should be good for his wolves. Um, unsurprisingly, Thistle is upset at this is happening, uh, much like we we see from the other animals that Vermeer was talking about. Um, Thistle starts, she would rather claw at her own eyes, bite off her tongue while she screams for him to get out of her body rather than give over control. Um, she's right. She is essentially positioning herself to commit suicide rather than let Varamir have her body. And again, this should be, this is illustrative because a large part of a dance with dragons, at least from Bran's perspective, is his, is him learning these same things that, um, Varamir got from Hagon and that Bran learned from Jojen and Bloodraven. It's, they're similar examples and it's supposed to throw back this idea of Hodor and Bran, because I imagine that George may have gotten feedback that people didn't really get um, how bad it was what Bran was doing to Hodor, that at least from Bran's perspective, he doesn't think of anything bad about it, but this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what it's like when anyone else tries to do this. It's the worst thing you could do to a person. Um, and Varamir tries it and fails, thankfully. Thankfully, Varamir does not get Thistle's body, gets kicked out. Uh, she dies in the snow, only to be later raised back as a white. Awesome stuff from uh, from Varamir again. He not only kills the one person that was being nice to him um, by his attempted seizing of her body, her, her body is then seized by the others instead. So, A-plus work on rewarding that good deed done to you, Varamir Sixkins. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, there's this sort of interesting sequence that happens afterwards where Varamir, his body, he has left his body. He, um, he feels the true death as he's talking, as he thinks of it coming, where um, he feels the cold and his bot and his soul essentially rises out and goes into the weird for a little bit. It like actually flies through the air. There's a moment where he flies next to a tree and ravens see him and scatter. So there's some sort of, um, there may be some idea, like maybe this might be the white mists that people see in the, in the story. Like people have theorized that the mists in Winterfell are brand, um, that could be the, what this is over the others when there's white mists. Uh, there's something, there's something tangible there. He flies through the trees. He thinks briefly about, um, joining the rest of the world, going into the, the rocks and the animals and nature itself. Um, he feels like weirdly peaceful, which as a reader made me go like, Hmm, I'm not that happy about this. I don't want like good things to happen to Varamir Sixkins. I wish he would eat shit and die. I want like the worst thing ever for him. Um, instead, he ends up going to his his wolves, but not before really thinking about thinking about hard about which wolf he would rather be. Um, he's like, well, I could be Sly, the female wolf, but he's like, oh, I could never be a girl. I would never want to be 
mounted by someone else. Essentially, Varimir saying, I would never want what I've done to everybody else in this world happen to me. Uh, he thinks about being the other one's stalker, uh, the, the, the younger male wolf who's um, leaner and smaller, but decides that he needs to be one eye who's older, but he's bigger. And he's the one that Sly <laughs> mates with. So in Varamir's head, he's like, well, if I have to be a wolf, I want to make sure at least I'm still getting wolf laid. So, yeah, that's his thought process. Um, truly terrible stuff. We actually do end up seeing the the wolves later on. I believe that Bran seizes one eye from Varamir, or at least he encounters them. Which, again, as we're talking about in terms of the the animals and the second line is merging it's not a good thing if bran is like coming close to varamir in any sense like that is the worst case scenario um yeah nobody knows it's varamir later you just see the three wolves i think summer forces Summer dominates them, I believe, and takes over the pack. Again, showing just how sad and pathetic Varimir is. Um, he loses out to Bran almost in an instant. And <clears throat> what the point of this, though, is really interesting is this is sort of a tutorial for the reader about, about second lives. And that's a big part of this chapter. Varimir thinks about it. He thinks about the mechanics. He thinks about what happens when you have one. And what, what do we learn about it? So first thing we learn is that Varamir speculates that the gift of skin changing does not cross over with your soul, basically. When your soul leaves your head and it goes into the animal or another human body, if that body does not have the ability to skin change itself, you're not going to be able to anymore. <clears throat> You're essentially stuck there. You are stuck in that body forever. That's why there's, as far as he knows, there's no third lives. There's no fourth lives. But it does open the possibility that if a skin changer was able to claim a body from another skin changer, they could have a third life. If you kept doing this over and over and over again, you could become functionally immortal. As long as you kept choosing skin changer bodies. Um, hashtag bolt on. Um, and also the mixing of the personalities that the longer that the human mind or soul stays in the animal they go into, the more the human loses control and erodes and you become sort of a new being. You are no longer just the one, um, oh, Oh, sorry, uh, hashtag Bolton. If you haven't read that theory, the theory is basically that uh, Roos Bolton is a vampire that continually um, takes the bodies of his sons. It's, it's ridiculous, but it's also fun. But it's this idea. This is essentially what's behind Bolton. It's the idea of um, one being continually claiming new identities. Pure tinfoil, absolutely not true. But this is the concept. Um, and actually, when you think about um, when you think about how this works, we also see from the wolf's perspective what it is like 
when somebody else is essentially skin changing them where when we see bran um doing it he's more in control than other people Arya is more or less along for the ride for nymeria but varamir's influence on one eye is essentially like a voice talking in his head he's reminded he's telling him he's essentially like dubbing in his own thoughts where he's like okay so leave the woman for last kill the two men first then the baby then the then the then the mother and that's the order that we should be killing these things it's um less like like direct control moving joysticks kind of thing and it's actually very similar to another georgia story it's called under siege um which is a very strange story where essentially these characters called the geeks uh go back in time and skin change more or less into people at historical events to try and get them to change what they're doing um trying to get out to change the flow of time which may be a thing that Bran eventually does. But it works much the same way, where the person is walking around and the skin changer or the geek essentially tells them things they should be doing and they listen because they sort of perceive it as their own thoughts. Kind of interesting to think about. Um, Another concept George has been working on for quite some time. Um, Let's see here, what do you guys... Oh yes, now everyone's talking about Bolton. I mean, it's 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 a fun theory. It's not going to be true, but it does touch on something interesting about the magical world George is in. That this is a concept he thinks about. Like literally, the glass flower is one person using this this machine, this alien device they find to extend their life hundreds of years by swapping bodies every time one gets old. So. Very possible George has thought about it before. Maybe there's somebody like that in uh, A Song of Ice and Fire that we're not thinking about. Perhaps like The Great Other or The Faceless Man or something like that. And now we get to foreshadowing. So why does this chapter exist? Why did George choose this one for Dance with Dragons? Why is this important? Why do you need to see inside Varamir's head? And like I've been alluding to, the biggest reason is Bran Stark. Bran is an abomination too. He is doing all the things Hagon has said not to do except for the sex one. Um, He has definitively, he is a cannibal, although he didn't know it the first time and he probably doesn't know it the second time when cold hands comes back and serves him human he calls it pork it's the quote-unquote long pork it's the night's watch um meat that he feeds him so bran has become a cannibal as well um although he and i believe he i think he does it through summer that the he eats human flesh i'm not sure about that one but okay so one one abomination check Another abomination, human skin changing, Bran's treatment of Hodor. If, when you compare Varamir and Bran to Thistle and Hodor, it really drives home the point that what Bran is doing, what his powers are enabling, and that he doesn't feel bad about it. Like, even Varamir knows what he's doing is wrong. Bran does not under does not really understand that it's wrong in any way and he's doing it regularly and there's actually there's a quote here that uh from a dance with dragons that really again compare remember the quote i read about thistle and Varamir, and then we're going to read this brand describing his relationship to hodor 
The big, the big stable boy no longer fought him as he had the first time, back in the lake tower during the storm. Like a dog who has had all the fight whipped out of him, Hodor, Hodor would curl up and hide whenever Bran reached out for him. His hiding place was somewhere deep within him, a pit where not even Bran could touch him. No one wants to hurt you, Hodor, he said silently to the child man whose flesh he'd taken. I just want to be strong again for a while. I'll give it back the way I always do. It's, again, he has done to Hodor what Varamir could only dream of. It's what he wanted to do with Thistle and failed. It's completely horrifying. It should re really force you to go back and rethink where Bran is going as a character, what exactly his morals are. What he, what he is doing and what George is planning for him. Because this is a direct comparison between one of the worst characters George has ever put to pen and what most people think as one of the, as a protagonist or even a hero. That's who he is. He is, he is doing to Hodor what Varamir could not pull off the thistle. Um, There is some argument that has Bran been warned not to do this? I don't know. I, I, I don't quite remember. Uh, I don't. Jojen mostly gave him uh, warnings about becoming the wolf and that kind of merging thing. Bloodraven has touched on different rules and things Bran shouldn't do and what his limitations are. But even still, Bran, like as a person, Bran should understand that seizing Hodor's body is a bad thing. Like, you shouldn't need to be told that doing this to him, making him curl up like a dog who who hides from him when he reaches out to him is not a good thing. That this is, this is something he should innately be turning away from, and he's not. And in fact, he's only getting more used to doing it. He's normalized it in his own head. Um... So yeah, brand the abomination. That's a thing that's happening, and of course, uh, Jojen paste. Uh, the the long running theory that the weirwood paste made from the weirwood seeds that nobody has not that have not appeared anywhere in the books. There's no indication they have seeds. So most people think that the weirwood paste is actually Jojen. That Jojen has died and been sacrificed, and Brand has eaten him and used that to enhance his powers. Again, not his choice, but it still happened to him. Um, and it, it's also reiterating the, the, the pattern of behavior that George established with Varamir, where Varamir very much takes people that help him and his teachers and revolts against them and eats them to take their power and usurp them. And... Bran is doing the same thing, but without really knowing it. For Jojen, Jojen to Bran is the same almost as uh, Hagon to Varamir. It's a similar relationship. It's somebody that is setting warnings, somebody that is trying to help him out, somebody that is trying to guide him. Um, Bran is less angry at Jojen, obviously. He is probably, I don't think he would purposely kill Jojen and eat his heart, but the the result has been the same. It appears that Jojen is dead and Bran has eaten him. Um, <laughs> and again, when 
when you talk about Bran and Bloodraven, Bloodraven is acting as a Hagen figure for Bran. He is doing the same things Hagen did for him, where he has some sort of idea of a life for Bran that he's trying to give him. He's trying to show him how to exist within the children of the forest society. He's trying to show him how to be a green seer. He's like warning him like, oh, the past is dry. Like, uh, you can't go back and change anything. Um, Bran seems to be much more a student rather than the rebellious dick that Varamir is, but there, it sets up a real possibility that Bran at some point may seize this role from Blood Raven. That he may, um, he may not see it as like a betrayal, but he may see it in terms of the next step, the the apprentice becoming the master, the you know the the Sith apprentice becoming the Sith Lord, that kind of thing, like a rule of two, a rule of two, that essentially uh, exists within, at least George has set up within the Veramir chapters. <clears throat> and uh, again, as as you're reading through Bran's chapters, you should constantly be looking back to this Veramir example and be like, wow, so George is having him go through the same things. The same things are happening to him. Wait, is Bran going to end up like Veramir? Probably not. Like, he, in some sense, he does not have the cruel streak that Veramir does. I don't think Bran would go and kill his brothers. I don't think he would kill his family. I don't think he would set himself up as a petty lord practicing first night on nearby villages but in terms of where his powers can go and what he can use them for i mean varamir is an example that's sitting there sitting right there for you to think about um and it's not only brand too this also extends to aria aria in the show they really did not um play up her relationship to her skin changing ability but she's very much a powerful skin changer in the books um, like Veramir, she has started claiming different animals she can freely use them uh, she actually uses a cat in one of her missions to spy um, she wargs nymeria from across the narrow sea um, some idea that maybe she's gonna move the she's gonna be in control of the wolf pack um, it's really a a way for the reader to recontextualize everything we're learning about these these characters that are genuinely thought of as the protagonists, the heroes, and the dark side of where they can go. It's very, very, very troubling to think about. Um, oh yeah, um, uh, disputed lands in the chat. Amanda says. Uh, she's talking about the rat cook and the cannibalism and the idea that if you eat somebody, you'd steal their power very much. So cannibalism is a huge part of Northern mythos and legend. Um, it's, it's a thing that will continue to come up. Bran is very much living quite a lot of mythical figures at the same time. Um, the only this is the most troubling part. So, like I said, Hagen listed three abominations. He listed uh, cannibalism, human skin changing, and mating while in an in the thing you're skin changing. Vermeer didn't do the second one. Well, he did actually. Yes, he did. Um, he would be one eye sometimes um, while that was happening, but nothing really bad happened. But George included it for some reason, and some people have wondered what will happen with Bran's crush with Mira. God, that's a horrifying thought, but 
Maybe something will happen with Mirror and Hodor and it'll actually be Bran and that'll be horrifying to read. Please don't do this, George. Why did you include this second rule of abominations? Why are you doing this to me? Not cool, man. Not cool. I don't want to think about this. You put it in there. This is your fault, Martin. <laughs> um, yeah. That one may come up. Uh, Bran re it really does seem to be in love with Mira. And not cool. I hope he doesn't. I hope it's just a fake out. I hope, I hope George does not go that dark. But... Uh, it's certainly in there. And uh, the last foreshadowing is obviously this is not just about Bran and Arya. This is also about Jon Snow. Um, the idea is that Jon at the end of A Dance with Dragons, as we shot on the show, if you haven't seen the show, by the way, spoiler alert, Jon comes back to life. Most people think that Jon has gone into Ghost. It's hinted at by Varamir. He thinks about in this chapter that ghost is the, a second life worthy of a king ha ha rlj john's a targaryen he might end up king okay yes true um and this this chapter provides the mechanics for how that may happen especially how vermeer perceives it and what it may it may be set up for maybe a ghost chapter in the winds of winter with john and ghosts starting to merge into one um that his body will be dead and probably frozen. They'll probably put it near the wall. There's been talk about him going to the ice cells. Um, but that John and Ghost will become one for some time until someone figures out a way to pull him back out of the wolf and put him back in the body. Um, <clears throat> very much the setup for that. And in addition, uh, this is something that Bookshelf Stud um, wrote about a while back, and it's it's a popular fan theory that John's going to come back more wolfish, more savage, that he's going to, that the merging of him and ghost will be, is already very strong in a dance with dragons. Um, but it's going to become even more so that John will, um, sort of kill the boy, basically that he's going to come back <laughs> as like a hunter, as a dire wolf. Um, the, as some somewhere more towards wolf than man. I mean, Melisandre's vision is that it's man, wolf, man. So that import that middle part is important for thinking about where he's going to be. Um, and also, um, I speculate in the past and so have others that how is anybody going to know that John is actually in ghost? Like how, how are you going to figure this out? Well, one mechanic is that ghost has been noticeably silent for five books that he does not bark. He does not howl. He makes no noise. He's always quiet. Well, as we saw with Varamir, when he was in the dog, um, before his father killed it, he was able to vocalize. He was able to, I think he called it a pathetic whinny was let out of him. Well, if ghost starts barking and yelping and howling, maybe a clever character in the books will notice and be like, what, what's going on there? Why is ghost suddenly making noise? And they may put it together that that is where Jon Snow's soul has gone while his body is dead. Uh, it's a similar idea to Rob Stark after the red wedding. <clears throat> uh, that it's noted that, 
um, Grey Wind essentially goes crazy and starts trying to kill everybody. And most people, and a popular theory, I think, I don't know if George has confirmed it or not, that um, that Rob on his death warged into Grey Wind and then died a second time, similar to Hagen. Uh, Grey Wind, and uh, I think his name is Grey Skin. That was the name of Hagen's wolf. So a similar thing may happen to John that this chapter provides the mechanics for you to understand as a reader what George is planning to do in the next book. Um, yeah, so this has been a... <laughs> I've reached the end of my doc, and I feel terrible about it, and Vermeer is the worst. God help all of you reread podcasts when you get to Vermeer Sixkins, if you haven't already. Holy shit. Um, so if you have it for the last half hour, we'll, we'll just... Uh, Rapid fire some questions out. Um, Q and A's um, starting now. Just throw them out there. I'll do my best uh, to answer them. Some of them will be really hard, especially. And I'm sorry that these possibilities have now entered your head. I blame Martin. I always blame Martin. It's his fault. It's his books. It's not my books. Uh, so one question that I grabbed from YouTube was: uh, Can we look into a reasoning behind why Varamir was so powerful? We understand what he could do, thinks of himself, but nothing about the actual mechanics of how the whole skin changing thing works. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a good question. Why is Varamir himself so powerful? Um, the it's very confusing, especially because it's noted that he had a lot of children from the women that he kidnapped. And it's noted that also none of them had his gift. So if it's a genetic component between them and it seems to be tied to the body, like Vermeer says, then why isn't it being passed on more often? And it also, you can look at it the other way. So it's relatively rare <clears throat> for powerful skin changers to happen, but then all the Stark children at once are powerful skin changers. George has said they all are. Um, so... The bigger question for me is not why is Vermeer so powerful. It's like, why are the Starks all so powerful and all of them are doing it at the same time? Like what happened there? Um, I imagine this is sort of a magical thing that, um, that George has decided like it's a moment of destiny that everything aligned in some way. I don't know if we'll ever get an answer, um, but it seems to be some sort of psychic powers. I mean, skin changing is essentially the same as astral projection. It's the same as like professor X, in the X-Men, you know, he calls it skin changing. He calls it warging. Those are just fancy terms for psychic powers. That's basically what's going on. <clears throat> Adversary say just passing the buck, huh? Dr. Mr. Magician, Mr. Dr. Magician. Hey, I didn't write it. I didn't write this chapter. I didn't put in that stupid rule. That was his job. He's I'm not the one hinting at it. He is. Ha. Um, so let's see here. See if we can grab some questions from the chat. Uh, Guilty Undertaker, I think ghosts will go crazy when John is killed and start attacking people. Very much a possibility, especially if John's in there. He may go after the people that stabbed him. That would be that's something I talked about in a vid, in a live stream with Bookshelf Stud and Sanry or Sanrixian that um, John's going to essentially punish the people that killed him. Um, once he comes back, but it's certainly in the realm of possibility that second life John is going to use ghosts to rip some throats. 
Oh, uh, super chat here from Aaron M. Uh, just fantastic content this week. How do you think we'll see Bran reckon with the horror of what he's done to Hodor? Will Blood Re- will Bloodraven teach him the lesson by working Bran? Uh, that's an interesting possibility. Um, I'm. Not, it's interesting that Bloodraven has not brought it up. He must. He and this children must know that Bran is doing this. That he is walking around with Hodor. Um, but they have not seemed fit to be like, Hey man, then he knock that off. Maybe that's a bad thing you should do. You shouldn't do like, don't do that. For some reason he hasn't done that. Um, this is sort of a theory or like maybe an explanation for what blood Raven is doing with brand is that they specifically chose a child in brand so that they would not have the, the moral problems for what needs to be done, sort of like an Ender's game idea, where specifically Ender is set up as the general of the human uh, armies against the buggers. Spoiler alert, sorry about that one. Looks pretty old. Um, specifically because he thinks it's just a game, that he thinks that he will not take into account the the moral hazard of essentially rendering an alien species extinct. Um, of course, he does later, and that may be Bran's relationship to what Bloodraven and the Children of the Forest are teaching him to do now, that <clears throat> later in his life, however long that life may be, he may have a very different idea and conception of what he's doing. But at the moment, it seems that th- that Bloodraven and Bran and the Children are noticeably letting him go forward with being an abomination and even encouraging it. Which is, yeah, that's that's an interesting way to think of Blood Raven, especially um, with the stream I did last week, talking about how as Blood Raven got older, he seemed to really embrace the ends justify the means. How much worse has that gotten since he's joined the Weirwoods? Would he essentially set up a brand as a weapon against for whatever their goals actually are? It's very possible. Um yeah yeah not great very interesting to think about his that they know he's doing it most likely and they haven't stopped it uh the speed lands i'd come back pissed too yep so would i after being stabbed and forced into a wolf and then coming back i imagine that john is going to be just so much darker it's not going to be great for him um Uh, Luminous Lane brings up that a ton of people at the wall know that he is a warg, not that he is a Targaryen. True. Um, there's a lot of people that suspect he's a warg, but they're essentially letting it slide like they did for Hagen. But it, it that also has to color the way that the Night's Watch brothers treat Jon, that they most of them suspect or know that he probably is a warg, especially after the Wildlings showed up and like uh, Barak or Baroque, however you say his name, makes it explicit that yes, Jon is a skin changer. Even if he uh, doesn't really think about it too much. <clears throat> uh, Lady Leaf Underhill, uh, actually one of my new patrons, thank you, uh, says there's a living, there's a waddling warg living there that can recognize him. Like I was talking about Baroque, or Barak, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Baroque, the boar guy. The boar guy is there and he can definitely recognize John. Uh, there's been a weird relationship between his boar and ghost where they're like rivals. So that could definitely be a, 
path for somebody to notice John is still alive. Um, oh yeah, stab the like button. Got about 20 minutes more to go. Then I'm going to go rest my voice, do some gardening, and watch Radio Westeros. Um, uh, Smitty asked, did Lady go into Sansa on her death? Um, that is something I've thought about for a while. I think definitely. I think that if the second life can go one way, could it go the other? Maybe. I've speculated in the past that it seems like the direwolves are not just normal animals, that they have some strangeness to them, that they have powers, that they are mentally connected to each other in the same way the Starks are connected to them. So if the direwolves also have some kind of weird power, I would say... I would say very likely that the a door open can go through both ways and that maybe Lady still lives in Sansa. Yes, there's a there's a nice a nice palate cleanser. There's something nice to think about after thinking about Varimir Sixkins for two hours and his horrible, horrible behavior and what he allows. Oh god. Uh, Scott McCloy asks, what role will Summer play in either Bran's ascension or descension? Um, it seems like for him, Summer is like a safety net, that he's the the comfortable thing, that it's become that Summer is um, his hold on his old life, his hold on his home, his hold on his stark identity. If Summer ends up dying and Bran is this sort of left astray without um without these connections because we forget that it's been a long time since bran has really interacted with members of his family and if he starts losing his humanity in the same way maybe blood raven has without summer there to anchor him and with jojen likely dead and maybe mira not so interested in talking to him anymore um it's kind of set up that bran will become darker in the winds of winter and again thinking about Varimir as a character how dark will he get um especially because he really he doesn't like being he doesn't like being in the cave anymore but he's trapped he's trapped like blood raven there's nowhere you can go Yeah, Guilty Undertaker. There's a mention of skin changers. Instinctively recognize each other. Yes, there's a... Um, they know each other right away. They can... It's some sort of weird connection between them. So every skin changer at the wall knows what John is, even if he doesn't. Varamir thinks about how as soon as he saw him, he's like, wow, he's a really powerful skin changer, but he's not practiced. I could steal ghost from him. <clears throat>
Um, good question from Karma Police. Do the old gods actually consider people like Vermeer and Bran abominations, or is that basically just a wildling thing, or I guess a human thing? Um, since the original skin changers seem to be the children of the forest, and the Weirwoods are basically the children of the forest posing as gods, um, it's it's kind of unclear where these rules came from. Uh, I talked about this at Con of Thrones with... Um, on a panel where it was like, where do these rules for their society come from? How do these come about? Were they given to them or were they just natural um, rules that came up over time to, to exist in that kind of society? I tend to think that um, the idea that the old gods punish people for doing these things is probably untrue because Bran is much like Euron. Um, where he's like, well, if the gods are real, why aren't I being punished for being a murdering, kinslaying asshole? Bran is not being punished at all for being in a, this quote-unquote abomination. He's actually being pushed into greater, greater power and prominence for his abilities to do so. So that seems to be something that the humans have put on themselves, that, that Hagen's rules... Uh, and the rules for being a skin changer in the society are more about survival than anything like handed to them, like the, no set of laws or anything like that. Because, yeah, it, it like the it's noted that the children of the forest were having skin changers for forever, that when they fought the first men in the handles, that they would throw their armies of animals at them, that um, they mess with people's dreams and minds. It doesn't seem like they particularly have a problem with this kind of thing. And especially to them who are non non-humans, they may think of messing with a human and trying to take over their body in the same way that Vermeer thinks about taking over a bear or something like that. And Viserys says, more like guidelines, really. Yeah, basically. As long as we're doing a um, Pirates of the Caribbean thing. Because we're talking about Euron a lot today. Who saw that coming? Who saw Euron, Greyjoy, Varamir's six skins having a connection between them? But they very clearly do. And George is thinking about them in the same time. Like, um, Euron is showing up mostly in um, A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons, and so is Varamir, and so is the descent of Bran, and Bran's relationship with the Blood Raven. It all seems to be one big melting pot of awful of how far can you push these magical abilities before the gods do anything? And the answer seems to be, they're not going to do anything. It's going to be up to the people themselves to stop people like Varamir, and to stop Euron, and maybe stop Bran before anything happens from the old gods. <laughs> uh, Guilty Undertaker says, in my college dorm. Oh, interesting. You're in college. There's a specific rule against water fights. It made us wonder what kind of epic water fight happened in order for that to be specific. Yeah, exactly. Like specific things happened that probably caused these rules. Um, maybe some crazy warg king in years past went on a cannibalism streak and and this is this sort of like a truce between the normal population and the skin changers to coexist rather than going to what those south of the wall do which is when they find a skin changer they normally kill him
Uh, Cersei, a dragon rider? No. Incorrect. Um, yeah, we're getting close to the two-hour mark. Uh, maybe just like a couple more questions. Yeah, I can feel my voice starting to go anyway. Um, so last call. Any other questions about Merrimir Sixkins, what we talked about today? Um, or just whatever you feel like. Throw it in the chat. Um, and of course, um, just a few more plug, that sort of thing. Um, an hour from now at 5 PM on radio Westeros, actually, let me get the, the link for everybody and put it in the chat. Actually, if the mods, if you guys have that, that would be helpful. Oh, Hey, it looks like I'm streaming right now. That's weird. There we go. That's the link to... Uh, Rio Westeros's weekly chats that they're doing these days. Um, next video for me will be about um, Aegon or Young Griff or Fagon as he is known, how he's going to take Storm's End uh, in the Winds of Winter. Um, uh oh. Did the bitrate just drop out? It just dropped out for a second. You guys might be seeing some lag right now. Um, do you think Bran and Euron will meet each other in the Astral Plane similarly to how Ian Vermeer did? Yes, I think definitely that um, if if Euron is on the same level, if the theories are true, that he actually is like a failed apprentice or he has some sort of skin changing or green sight abilities or even like just like throwing back tons of... Um, of shade of the evening allows him to connect then very much so brand seems like he's being positioned to ping pong off the worst characters in the world that have magical abilities okay i guess it didn't drop out um uh walk on part in a war um that's a that's a lyric for some reason. Um, could six sins be an explanation of the origin of the White Walkers skin changing consumed by selfish selfishness? Absolutely. I think uh, that's another reason to look at this, that Vermeer's behavior and his way of treating people and animals as things for just things to be used, like corpses to be picked up and walked basically that he actually doesn't like that they fight back he rather that they were kind of like meat house man that they were just sort of um he would prefer basically having the other's powers and that their abilities seem so similar and that if they if a show is right and they do come from the children of the forest then this is just an intermediate step between um between like the start of a skin changer's life, Vermeer six skins, and then maybe somewhere down the line, the others, a character, somebody that has taken their magical abilities and pushed them as far as they can go. No empathy left, no humanity, just the worst thing you can imagine, especially because we do know that the children, that the, there are stories about the white walkers, um, taking women and sleeping with them. And we know from Craster that they do take children, it's not the, I, 
that one is unclear what they're taking the children for. Maybe they're converting them to new others, but there's definitely some sort of relationship between the way that Craster treats the others and the way that the people of the of the wilding villages treated Varamir. There seems to be a similar abuse of power going on. Oh, Pink Floyd, that's what it is. I'm glad I didn't start um, singing that one. Um, yeah, so I think we're just gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. Um, again, thanks for everybody that, that showed up. I think we ended up around like 230, 240 ish people. Um, Tuesdays at 7 p.m., Crusader Kings 2 streams. The Danes continue. Um, currently, uh, there is a Dane on the Iron Throne, but I don't control him. We're trying to merge that. Um, a lot of murders, a lot of deaths. Things are going crazy in Westeros. Next Saturday, same time, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, do another corn stream. I can say that the topic uh, has already been decided and that there may be some... Um, well, I'm planning on having two guests talking about Wyman Manderley and Davos. I put up a, a poll earlier this week on Twitter talking about his relationship to Stannis and if he meant to keep any of his... Um, any of his promises, uh, you'll be happy to know that it looks like uh, Maester Mary and Clint of the Laughing Tree of the Learned Hands podcast will be joining me for that one. So get ready for quite a shift in tone, I would say, away from Varamir Sixkins towards um, more understanding of social contracts and law and what's what's going on with Wyman and what that tells us about them. Um Again, video coming up, the How to Take Storm's End. That will probably be done this week. And I'm going to drop the link in the chat again. Go see Radio Westeros at 5 p.m. with poor Quentin. They'll be talking about Theon. That one lasts about an hour. Um, so, yeah. Thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks for everybody that um, showed up and was in the chat. Thanks for the super chats and all that stuff. Uh, if you want to support me, go to patreon.com slash Magician. You can get access to the Patreon Slack. Um, exclusive Patreon episodes. You get things ahead of time. All sorts of great stuff. It's it's just the best. And if I get to 50, we'll be talking about Meat House Man, which we more stuff like this. George R. R. Martin, what's going on in your head sometimes? Anyway, I'll see you all later. Thanks for stopping by.